Hi there and welcome to Vroom, your weekly motorsport fix with me, Michael Hill. Hi there and welcome to episode 9 of Vroom. Two great guests this week, TJ Alberto, who races the uh, Ducati in the Asia Road Race Championship, the ASB 1000 as it's known. TJ himself, a former point scorer, in fact the only point scorer uh, in the FIM Superstock 1000 Championship from the Philippines. We'll be chatting to him first and a little bit later we move from the uh, Philippines to America and we talk to Jason Aguilar, the former Superstock 600 champion who is now racing in Moto America Supersport and uh, Jason uh, has been on the podium this year, currently fourth in the Moto America Supersport Championship of 2020. So before I chat to our two guests this week, let's have a look back at what's been happening in the motorsport world over the last seven days. Starting on two wheels, starting with the BSB Championship, the British Superbike Championship, for those that are not familiar uh, with uh, the three-letter abbreviation of the series. Christian Idden, Josh Brooks and Glenn Irwin took a winner piece at Snetterton, uh, but it was Glenn Irwin and the all-new Honda Fireblade that extended the lead in the overall championship. Christian Idden took his first ever BSB win on Saturday, uh, although he almost got it wrong on the slowing down lap at a collision with uh, the Honda rider Glenn Irwin, his arm looking as though it was trapped under the back of the Honda Fireblade. Thankfully, both riders escaping unscathed. Rory Skinner, well, he will be a guest on Vroom in the upcoming weeks. He made it four Supersport wins from four starts, 100 points, a maximum for uh, the young Scott. Really, really impressive stuff. Let's switch to MotoGP then, and it was back-to-back -back races at the Red Bull ring. There were some changes made to Turn 3 following that horrific accident in the Austrian Grand Prix. This time around, it was the Styrian Grand Prix, and it was the first time since 2016 that the three Grand Prix races, Moto3, Moto2 and MotoGP, were won by riders who achieved their first win in their respective class. Celestino Vietti took the win in Moto3, Marco Bezzecchi won in Moto2, and Miguel Oliveira became the first Portuguese rider to win in the Premier class after a classic last lap fight, saw Paul Espargaro lose the lead and second place on the very final corner. It was really, really great stuff, like a Moto3 race. Uh, Jack Miller did eventually finish in second, with Paul Espargaro credited in third place, uh, but another rookie winner in MotoGP. The race itself wasn't without incident. Uh, there was a red flag and a restart, uh, which saw Joan Mir lose a two-second lead. You've got to feel sorry for the Spaniard. Uh, he looked odds-on to be uh, heading towards his first win. Uh, he eventually finished off the podium in the restart, but it was Maverick Vinales who escaped injury for the second time in seven days. The Spaniard bailing off the monster Yamaha at 140 miles an hour heading into turn one when his brakes failed. So some serious questions being asked uh, about uh, racing in Austria. 
Personally, I hope it stays on the calendar. Whether we see any changes to the configuration of the circuit for 2021 and beyond, well, we'll find out in the coming weeks. Switching then to four wheels, and it was the 104th running of the Indy 500. I've got to say it's a race that I've watched bits of in the past, but I did sit down uh, and watch the entire event, uh, including all the pre-race build-up. Really, really strange uh, to see no fans uh, there. I'm not sure what it would have been like with fans. I could only imagine uh, those packed grandstands filling the uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway, but it was Takuma Sato, the former Formula One racer, that became the 20th driver to win multiple races at the American Motor Speedway. Uh, it was the 43-year-old second win uh, of the Indy 500. A really, really great race. Bit of a crash fest, uh, a bit horrifying some of the incidents as the uh, car smashed into the walls. Uh, but again, thankfully, everybody uh, walking away okay. Uh, quite interesting as well, uh, it seems as though uh, the Indy 500 have taken some lessons, or they've certainly copied things from Formula One. If you remember the Mexican Grand Prix uh, last year, I think it was, uh, where uh, Lewis Hamilton's car was raised upon a platform onto the podium. Uh, they've now installed uh, that kind of lift at the Indy 500. Uh, and as I said, uh, no fans, so it didn't quite have the same effect but it certainly uh, will be something to watch in the future. Uh, Want to stay with four wheels and just touch on the uh, British Touring Car Championship. Now, this is a series that we haven't really followed uh, in the, uh, the first uh, seven or eight episodes of Room. They had their third round of the championship, and it was Rory Butcher, Ash Sutton and Adam Morgan that took a win apiece in the Quick Fit British Touring Car Championship, which was held at Alton Park. Very, very difficult conditions, wet conditions uh, at the uh, Cheshire circuit. Uh, but overall, in the championship, it's Colin Turkington for BMW that leads that series by 19 points. Next week in episode 10, well, we're going to have a lot to review. Formula One, World Superbike, the uh, FIM CV, Repsol Championship and Moto America. They're all back on track and uh, we'll have a lot to review from each of those championships in episode 10, where we'll also be uh, mixing it up. We'll have a two-wheel guest and a four-wheel guest as well for uh, our 10th episode of Room. Can't believe we're on to episode 10 already. Stay tuned, and obviously at the end of uh, this episode, we'll be revealing who we are talking to. But as I said, plenty to review next week, and that was a little look back at the last seven days in the motorsport world. Up first this week on Vroom is an American rider racing in Moto America. So I believe he becomes the second rider on Vroom this year from the States. Jason Aguilar is uh, dialing in now from across the pond with some serious uh, American hair going on there, Jason. Uh, uh, coronavirus has meant that the barbers are closed and that is a serious hairdo, mate. For someone with very little hair on top, I'm jealous. Yeah, you'd be surprised. And you know, I have actually... Uh... Yeah, I've already got my hair cut twice so far with the quarantine, and it just, uh, can I say, it just grows like crazy. Wow. <laughs> that is a, that's a new trend for Moto America. You could, you could start, start something there, mate. Uh, that would be, uh, that'd be quite good. Joking, joking aside, uh, Jason, good, good to talk to you. I know obviously we've, uh, we've kept in touch throughout the, uh, the, the winter and throughout the season as well, and, you know, so disappointed that I can't be trackside to watch you guys uh, going at it. But, uh, how is the uh, the season going for you so far? You're racing again in, in Super Sport. You've been on the podium. You're regularly in that front group. It's it's not been a bad start, has it? Yeah, it hasn't been too bad. It's uh, you know, it was it's honestly like 
I don't know. It's kind of weird because it's it's been definitely one of my best. I mean, it's been my best season in super sport ever, um, but it's still been kind of disappointing, you know. Um, you know, first round, very first race. You know, I had a DNF out of which should have been an easy podium. The second race, you know, I technically on paper got a podium because someone got disqualified, but I still don't really consider it a podium. You know, I didn't get to go up on the podium. I don't get the trophy. I don't get to thank the sponsors or anything like that. You never got the trophy. So, did, did Brandon not give you back the trophy then? No, I don't know how that works. I didn't I didn't bother to even ask or I didn't care about it. Um, oh, see, that's what that's. Yeah, I, I'd be I'd be livid, mate. I'd, I'd be banging on his trailer. I'd be like, mate, where's where's the trophy? I want my trophy. I would be I'd be fuming. I'd be so good. I'd be like, I want my trophy. Yeah, I don't know. For me, I'm like, even though I still got it, I just kind of feel like I didn't earn it in a way. So I'm just like, you know, I'll take the points. You know, I don't really care about the trophy or anything. Um, but, you know, aside from that, I've just, you know, I've had a couple pretty good performances, but they've all just been fourth place <laughs> pretty much for every single one of them. It's always, you know, uh, right there at the end or, or I'm there at the beginning and then I fall off or I'm there at the end, but then I make a mistake or something happens. Like the last race we had in, in Pittsburgh in race one, I felt like at the end of the race, I had really good pace to uh, get in a third and then kind of pull away a little bit. But, you know, I passed Ben Smith for third and then his bike cut out in front of me when he cut back underneath me and it slowed us both down and it allowed Passion Almeida to get by us. And, and that was like with two laps to go. And I was like, crap, like there goes, you know, that goes the whole plan I had going on. So I wasn't able to get, uh, I got Almeida, but I wasn't able to get Passion time. So, you know, just a bunch of fourth places. It's better than fifth, better than sixth, you know. But, man, I just – I really want to be up on that podium and, you know, try to find what we can do to start winning races. I think a lot of people listening to, to this – obviously, I've known you for, for a few years. We've, we've been over doing World Superbike at Laguna pr- predominantly when we, when we first met. And a lot of people uh, – a lot of journalists will always say, ah, oh, you know, fourth, fourth place is, is the worst place to finish. It's the worst place to finish. And I think a lot of people listening will never really understand that. I think anybody that's listening now and listening to to you, Jason, who is a racer, maybe now understands that it is true, that it, that is the case, because obviously we're recording this on Zoom, so I get the benefit, uh, unlike the listeners, of being able to see your, your facial expressions. And it clearly is that fourth position is the worst place to finish. You'd be better off finishing fifth or sixth, and I get that. I get with what you're saying, but I think you should also... You know, and I'm saying this as a as, as a buddy as, as well as anything. That there is a lot of positives to take from this season, isn't there? I mean, uh, as much as the podium is what you want, and, and if you didn't want the podium, you wouldn't get on the bike. There'd be no point racing. There is a lot of a lot of positives. I mean, uh, the, the starts, for example. You know, I read your press releases, and uh, you know, it always makes me laugh. Where you know, I'm never good at starting, but I got a good start, and then we had a restart. I got a good start, and so that there are some positives, right? Yeah, we've definitely done some things. Like, I was really bad last year at starts. Like, I was just awful off the start. I'd always lose a ton of positions. But we figured out a couple of things, uh, clutch-related, that have really helped us out with starts this year. So I've actually been getting, you know, pretty decent starts for for the most part. You know, every now and then, uh, it's not the best. But starts haven't really been too much of an issue for me this year like they usually have. But, you know, it's just like, it's like you're saying, you know, uh, you know, First is obviously the best place you always want to finish. Second, third kind of sucks from being first, but at least you're on the podium. You're on the box. You get 
good points. You had to thank your sponsors and everything. But then fourth place is just like, you know, just kind of a kick in the ass. <laughs> it's just like, man, it's like you're right there, but you're not every single time. It's just like, man, what what do we got to do to get up there, you know? Yeah, and I, and, I, and I get that. And I think obviously a lot of people listening uh, will have been able to watch this year uh, previously when they haven't been able to to all of the Moto America races on, on Eurosport, which is something that I think is great for, for the series. Uh, you will know as a rider, you know, if the more people can see you racing, the better it is for you, not just this year, but for your future as well. And um, it always interests me. Obviously, I'm involved with, with Moto America a little bit now, so I understand it. But you guys are, are running you personally are running a, a, a privateer team. So we, we see in, in the, the, the Moto America Supersport Championship manufacturers that we don't see a difference in, in the World Championship. So Suzuki, for example, is, is very, very strong in Moto America. The rules are, are slightly different. So, you know, you finishing fourth or you're, you're lying fourth in the points, you're the top Yamaha. And with no factory team, you know, from a manufacturer point of view, if the manufacturers are watching and certainly manufacturers in Europe will be watching, for a, for a young rider like you, that you're running a, your own private team, you're putting everything into it yourself, you know, you're working your ass off to get some sponsors, putting a lot of money in yourself. Um, hopefully, somebody around the world will, will see that, manufacturer-wise, and Yamaha might see that, and, and who knows, that, that could result in some, some big books coming up, and, and whether that furthers your career in America, or whether you take the plunge and come to Europe like Garrett did. Um, you know, so, so there's, there's some good things happening in Moto America, isn't there? Yeah, it definitely seems like it. I mean, it'd be it'd be really cool to see all the hard work and stuff, you know, pay off. That's why, you know, that's why we do it. That's why, you know, I drive the rig, you know, to every single racetrack so far. Uh, and, you know, pretty much all of them so far have been on the East Coast. So it's long drives for us from California to Wisconsin twice and then to Atlanta and then to Pittsburgh. Fortunately, next round is Washington. It's only 16 hours. So that's like the closest one we only, have. Right, only 16 right hours. Jeez. How long does it take you to get to Road to America then? Because again, I think a lot of people don't realize when we start talking of a, an American championship, you guys probably rack up probably more miles than, than a European team. Because at least in Europe, you're just going from country to country. You're quite close together. You guys are crisscrossing the whole of the, the US. Yeah, without a doubt. I mean, it's been, uh, I believe, to like Road America and to Road Atlanta they're both about the same distance. I think it's like 2,200 miles. So um, I don't know what that is in, uh, in kilometers for you guys. Um, but it takes, I mean, usually we leave like Sunday afternoon, Sunday evening, and we would get there, you know, like Tuesday uh, afternoon. And that's with no stopping. That's just with driving straight through, only stopping, you know, to eat a couple of times and stopping for diesel and stuff um the rounds that's i think that's one of the hardest parts just about the american championship for us as well is the rounds are so spread apart compared to a european championship like at least we have laguna seca hopefully still gonna happen in october so that's six hours from us but even being six hours from us like pretty much anyone on the east coast they all have rounds way closer to them than that you know, we have six hours to Laguna, 16 hours to the Ridge. Everything else is like 30 plus hours away, like 35 or more. Yeah, so it's, that's it's crazy. pretty rough, you know, having to drive the whole distance with the rig and everything. And then you're working on the bike beforehand. We're trying to, you know, build chassis, build motors. I have my normal day job trying to train and all that. It's, uh, it, it's pretty tiring. <laughs> 
Yeah, that's crazy. I mean, just to put that into perspective for, for some of those that are listening that, that don't follow Moto America, for example, when we race in Qatar, we take a flight and it's a five and a half hour flight and we're racing in Qatar in the Middle East coming from, from London or from, from, from Spain or, or France. So when, when, when Jason's talking about 16 hours, I mean, that's pretty much getting on for, we could fly to Malaysia quicker than that. I mean, that's, that's some yeah. big mileage, man. That's crazy. That's crazy. I want to talk to you very quickly, Jason, about people or people who want to know um, how you got into racing because obviously you're racing in Supersport now, but you are a former national champion uh, in, in Superstock 600. I think that's probably the, the year that you won the championship when we, we first met, the first year that Superbike came back to, um, to, to Laguna. I think when we first brought the paddock show there and everything, that's when we first met and you won the, the Stock 600 championship. That was a great championship, wasn't it? I mean, it's a shame that they don't have that around the world. I mean, they've scrapped it in pretty much every championship i think apart from bsb they still run a, a stock 600 championship but what, what a great little class that was yeah it was a really good class i was you know i was kind of surprised that they got rid of it because it was their highest you know uh attendance you know they had the most amount of riders in that class it was a really popular class and it was good because it was a really easy class for you know uh people on 600s that just want to you know try a couple races out or something or you know the really fast club guys and they want to get in but they don't want to have to put in a super sport budget type because you know if you want to race in super sport you know you you're gonna have to go up against you know some of the factory teams and stuff and that's something that's not really too feasible for you know most privateer riders yeah no no for sure for sure obviously prior to that how did you get into how did you actually get into racing then what was your your earliest memory of racing because obviously now Moto America, they've got the, um, I'm going to give it the wrong name, I know, and I'm going to get shouted out by Sean Bice and Paul Carruthers. The Junior Cup, are you saying? Yeah, the Avali Cup, isn't it? The Avali um, Moto oh, yeah. they're running now. Um, but that wasn't around when you started or even here in Europe. So, so how did you get into it? Well, I started racing in 2007 um, just on little pocket bikes on go-kart tracks. And actually what it was, was my dad used to work for American Honda. So he would always bring, and he worked for American Honda back when, you know, Nicky Hayden was racing AMA Superbike for American Honda. And then he went to MotoGP and he would always bring home posters of, you know, Nicky doing, you know, his, winning AMA Superbike races. I got a ton of Nicky Hayden posters all over my wall from, you know, old AMA Superbike and MotoGP and stuff. And, you know, he was always my favorite rider and kind of my inspiration. Um, and you know, I would just always watch it on TV. I kind of got in it with my dad. We play MotoGP video games and he would kick my ass, but I eventually learned how to beat him. And then, and then I would just beat him every time. But, you know, we were just, uh, we were just watching MotoGP all the time. And then I went to Laguna Seca in 2005 and we watched, uh, you know, the first MotoGP race there and however long that was. And I was like, man, this is like really cool. And then we watched it again. We went back in 2006 and Nikki won. He won in 05 as well. Um, and then, you know, we were just watching the championship. And I remember like, you know, watching Valencia in 06. I'm like, there's no way. I'm like, you know, he's screwed. You know, Rossi's going to take it. Somehow Rossi crashes out of nowhere, like miracle. And, uh, you know, Nikki won. It. And at the time I was just like, man, that's like, I was like, that's like the coolest thing ever. You know, I'm like, I want that to be me one day. So then we went out to uh, the AMA Superbike race at Auto Club Speedway and they had like a little tent set up for pocket bike lessons and stuff. And 
I convinced my parents to let me do it for my birthday and it just kind of took off from there. You know, I just started pocket bikes and worked my way up to, uh, you know, I'd win a championship on one bike, get the next one, win the championship, get the next one up, next one up, next one up, eventually till I got to the 600s. That's cool. I think that's such a, such a cool story. And it's, it always doesn't amaze me because Nicky was a, was a fantastic guy and I was fortunate enough to, to meet him and get to know him quite well. But so many of the Americans were, were inspired by the likes of, of, of Nicky and, and, and even earlier than that, going back to, you know, the Colin Edwardses of the world and to even John Kikinski, as much as he was a slightly different kind of characteristic, you know, he did a great, yeah. good for, for, for American superbike races and, and, and all these guys. What would it mean to you then moving forward, uh, in terms of the rest of this season, obviously to get on the box, as you said, without a disqualification from another rider, you want to earn that. And I'm sure that will happen, but what would it mean to, to get that first super sport win? Are we going to see some, uh, some, some real emotion from, from Jason Aguilar? Uh, I don't know. I'm not good at showing emotion. You could ask my girlfriend that, <laughs> but um, I mean, that would be, that'd be really cool. Um, I'd really enjoy to try to get my first super sport win, but you know, even, even after I got my first stock 600 win, you know, I didn't really celebrate it. You know, I, I won the first race in Utah in 17 there, which is my first, you know, ever pro win. And on the, you know, I remember getting interviewed and they're all expecting me to be stoked. And I was like, yeah, it was good. I was like, it was a good race. It was good to win. Uh, Got to do it again tomorrow. So, you know, it's like if, you know, I really, really want to win, but then if I do win, then I'm not focused on the moment. I'm like, all right, what's next? I'm like, we got to win the next race. You know, we got to try to make up championship points. We got to try to do whatever it is to, you know, get a good end of the season. Cause it's, you know, even when the checkered flag, you know, checkered flag comes out, you know, the work's still not done. You still always got work to do. Yeah. And I, I can get that. And I think it's, it's quite refreshing actually to, to talk to a rider that is actually not scared to say, Hey, do you know what? I, I, I don't show emotion. This is, this is me. This is my character. This is how I am. If I'm not on the podium, I'm pissed about it. And if I am on the podium, I want the next one. And I think there's, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, I think that's actually quite refreshing that you, you're confident enough in yourself to say, look, this, this is me. This is what I'm doing. I'm racing because I want this, but I want more. And, and as you said a few minutes ago, the ambition is to emulate Nicky Hayden. And, and, and Nicky was kind of like that. Okay, different character because he was a bit of a, of a showman, but that doesn't yeah. mean that you, that you can't celebrate it, it in your way. Um, the next race this weekend coming up, obviously this podcast will be getting listened to now by, by thousands around the world that uh, are getting ready for, for World Superbikes uh, in, in Aragon this weekend, but also for Moto America. It's a big weekend, isn't it? Because they're racing, uh, as you said, in Washington, a brand new circuit for the championship. Uh, the Ridge Motorsport Park. Gritted that I can't be there because I've seen some some videos and, and onboards, and the circuit looks amazing. Doesn't look like you're going to get much time for a rest uh, around uh, the Ridge. It looks quite a technical circuit. What's your thoughts about that? And and obviously the fact that Moto America have brought this new ch- this new race in. Uh, I think it's it's a great move, isn't it? Yeah, it's cool to get to a new track. Also, get to a new area. You know, I mean, I've never you know. I've been all over the States and I honestly don't even think I've ever been up to Washington before. So it's cool. You know, uh, there's a pretty big presence racing up North as well, you know, on the Northwest. So I think it's going to be really good. The track looks pretty cool. Um, I'm stoked. We have a test day Thursday before just to check the track out, try to get, you know, our setup dialed, get gearing in, you know, figure out what we need to do. 
I know a couple teams have already tested there before, so we're going to be a little bit behind the ball on some of those guys. But, you know, we just got to, you know, make good use of the two hours of track time we have on Thursday and just try to get things dialed. Then we got, you know, Friday and then we got race day, Saturday, Sunday to, you know, make it happen. No, for sure. I'm sure it'll be great. And obviously I'll be watching on, on Moto America Live Plus. Uh, sadly, not involved in the broadcast again. But uh, again, I want to just talk about Moto America Live Plus because that's another great thing from, from Moto America, especially for the small, I say the smaller classes, and I don't mean that disrespectfully, but obviously you've got super bikers that premier class, which is, you know, it gets a lot of the focus. But Moto America Live Plus, which is the online streaming uh, service that's been great for all of the the lower classes hasn't it super sport the uh, the superstock 1000s the twins cup the, the junior cup even uh, as you were saying earlier in terms of you know support and, and, and recognition back to your to your sponsors um that's something that doesn't happen in a, in a lot of other championships domestic championships at least yeah without a doubt you know superbike's main class it's always the main focus i always felt like you know it's probably goes like superbike and then I'd say like probably Super Sport and then Stock 1000. I'd say the two are probably like right there. Um, but you know, it's you kind of got your Premier Thousand class, which is Superbike, then your Premier 600 class, which is Super Sport. I feel like those are the two main ones, and it's been awesome. You know, having Moto America Live Plus. I mean, you know, I could actually you know go home or you know go back to the hotel Friday night, Saturday night, watch the race or watch practice, watch qualifying analyze you know hey looks like i'm doing this but you know richie might be doing this or sean might be doing this so i kind of see what the competition's doing as well you know when we're off the track and i could say maybe that's a better line you know maybe this is a better line to try some things and it's just really good to go back to the hotel because you know even before you go back to bed you're always thinking like man what could i do better here you know should we try this try this but then you kind of analyze the race and you're like okay you know i see some things here i see some things there and it's just awesome to be able to see that because it's not something that you have, you know, very often unless you're in MotoGP where, you know, you have every session streamed and, you know, tons of people watching. So having an app like that is really awesome. Um, you know, fortunately, my girlfriend subscribed to the app, so I just use her login for it. No, that um, is a cool initiative, right? Get, get your missus to pay for it. That's brilliant. Yeah, because yeah, so she, she's never at the races, you know, so she's always watching it from home. So I'm like, hey, give me the login so I can watch my practice or whatever it is. Um, but it's cool, you know, it, it gives everyone sponsors, it gives family, fans, it just gives them such a better experience when it comes to watching racing and watching a certain class or, you know, watching one of their family members or sponsored riders out there riding around. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Last question, because we've been talking for almost uh, 21 minutes already. Uh, you know what I'm like? I, I get paid by the word, so that's why I just keep talking. Talk, <laughs> but um, last question, 2021, have you given any thought to, to what you might be doing in 2021? Obviously, uh, we hope that you're going to continue on a bike in some, some way, shape or form. Yeah, I mean, I'll definitely be doing something, I guess. Uh, I haven't really thought of it too much yet. It just kind of depends. I'd like to still stay on a 600 and, you know, try to go about winning some stuff here. Um, it just depends, I guess, you know, the opportunity that comes my way still. It depends where I am financially. You know, I usually, uh, I'm usually always spending quite a bit more money than my income is. Uh, so, you know, it kind of depends on where I am financially as well. But hopefully, you know, if I start getting on the box, I'll start offsetting some of the costs a little bit because contingencies are pretty much only top three so that's one of the other really 
shitty parts about getting fourth is you're always just missing out on contingency. It's like, man, like this sucks. Yeah. Um, especially when you're paying for everything yourself, you know, but we'll figure something out. You know, I always figure something out every year. So no, that's cool. And obviously the final, final point that we, we should say is that a lot of people listening uh, from the, from the Viking world. So obviously Jason Aguilar racing in Moto America, super sport. Also a lot of listeners, to the Vroom podcast from the four-wheel world. So uh, I know that they're, they're getting ready to watch the Indy 500. Uh, does, does the car racing world interest you at all? Honestly, yeah. I mean, I was always way more into cars than I was motorcycles, you know, uh, when I was growing up until we started watching MotoGP. But yeah, I'm super into cars. So I'm always, you know, I always got, I always make sure I have a fast car to go, you know, go around town in aside from my van and uh yeah i mean i like i like driving fast and scaring people you know in cars as well so i think um you know maybe eventually if two wheels you know if i stop with two wheels maybe i'd move to four wheels but four wheels is uh even more expensive than two so i gotta figure that one out yeah, no, for sure. Well, I wish you uh, wish you well for the rest of the season. We'll just do a quick quick wrap up here. Obviously, Jason is also active on social media. He's got uh, a new website that he launched this year, which is aguilarracing.com. So you can get on there and see everything that he's doing, all his race reports and pictures and all that. Uh, all that funky stuff is uploaded uh, for him on the, the website. He's also on Twitter. And I've got to say, for, for an American to be on Twitter, I'm quite impressed with this, Jason, the fact that you are posting stuff and you're getting more into the Twitter because uh, it's something that not a lot of Americans, a lot of, not, not a lot of American races seem to be into. Um, but uh, it, it's definitely helping you. You're getting some new followers coming through, which, uh, which is good. Um, Jason Aguilar 96, I think that's right, uh, is your uh, Twitter. And you're uh, massively on uh, Instagram. I know you post loads and loads of videos and, and all kinds of stuff. Uh, on there what's uh, your, what's your Instagram uh, it's the same isn't it I think yeah it should be the same Jason Aguilar 96 Jason Aguilar 96 yeah he's always posting various videos and uh, and all funky stuff uh, on there as well yeah so that's pretty good well Jason thank you for for joining us uh, wish you all the very best for the Ridge this weekend I'll be watching uh, on Moto America Live Plus so again for those listening if you haven't subscribed get subscribed because as Jason said you can watch all of the practice all free practice all the races from all the categories and uh, hopefully we'll be seeing Jason on the box this weekend but uh, buddy have a good one and fingers crossed this uh, coronavirus travel restriction gets lifted and I can get on the big bird and uh, get a, get across to the paddock before the end of the season yes definitely would love to see that cool thanks a lot Jason take care all right see you Michael Here at Vroom, we want to hear from you, our listeners. So whether you've got a burning motorsport question or if you've got a favourite rider that you'd like us to try to reach out and arrange an interview with, please, please, please get in touch. You can contact me through my Twitter account, at mhillofficial. So what are you waiting for? Get in touch today.
My second guest on Vroom this week is uh, a Filipino rider that uh, has made his European debut a few years ago, races with his brother as well in the Asia uh, road racing series. We're going to speak to his brother in a few weeks' time, but for now the spotlight uh, is absolutely on TJ Alberto, who is dialing in now uh, from, uh, well, poolside is what we can say. He's uh, uh, outside his swimming pool in, in the Philippines. You may hear some birds in the background uh, as well. It's all very tropical over there. How are you, TJ? Hi, Michael. How are you? All good here. Uh, bright and sunny today. Uh, luckily, we, we had a storm last week, but weather's perfect right now. Yeah, I was just saying there in the intro, obviously, we, we record all of the uh, the podcasts on Vroom. So uh, I've got the, the beauty of looking at the camera and uh, you're, you're sat there in what looks like your outhouse. You've got the swimming pool just next to you. You've got birds flying around. Yeah. L- life is good. <laughs> yeah, life is actually quite good here. Um, uh, with the situation now, you know, we're like on a lockdown. Of course, it's not so good for, you know, for the state of the country, but it's actually quite nice to put the feet up and uh, relax for once. Yeah, well, obviously, we're going to talk to you um, about how you got into racing. We're going to talk about your your exploits in the World Superbike Paddock, of course. For those listening, yeah. TJ is the first uh, and so far only rider from the Philippines to score FIM uh, Superstock 1000 World Cup points. So uh, there's lots to talk about there. Um, but then a couple of years ago, you went back uh, and decided to focus um, on, a, on a more localized championship, if we can say that, the Asia Road Racing Series, which goes from, from strength to strength. So we're going to talk about that as well. Something we haven't talked about on the Broom podcast, and I know there'll be a lot of listeners uh, quite eager to, to understand how the Asia uh, Road Racing Series works. Uh, and of course, uh, very importantly, especially for the Ducatisti in Italy, uh, you run Ducati. So uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that as well. So, TJ, just before we do get into sort of more, more recent racing, go, go back to the beginning. How did you get into racing? Because I've, I've done a little bit of research. There's not so many um, world championship graded circuits in the Philippines. So uh, it must have been quite an, uh, an unusual or different route for you to get into the sport. Yeah, actually, it's quite interesting uh, because I started at uh, four years old in motocross, actually. Uh, of course, with uh, my dad. My dad is actually a uh, Philippine national champion in superbikes. So, of course, I followed in his footsteps. Uh, I did the junior motocross. I was champion a few times uh, in, those, uh, in the lower categories. And then uh, when I turned uh, 14, I started moving into road racing. So I had uh, my first full season in the superbike class in 2013 here in the Philippines. And how is the, the superbike class? I mean, again, for those some people listening, they might think, what, the Philippines has a, has a superbike category? Um, as I say, you, you do have a, a national championship, but the circuits are, um, they're, they're, not, they're not the same as in Europe, are they? They're very, very different styles of circuits. Yeah, uh, you can say that for sure. It's uh, completely different. It's nothing like uh, what, what we're used to seeing on TV you now with the MotoGP or World Superbike Championship. Uh, but we have just two tracks here in our Superbike Championship. It's actually quite interesting because it's uh, a little bit difficult for young riders here to get into the world scene because we re- only really have a Superbike class. We don't have a 250 or 600 categories. So that's something quite interesting. Oh, wow. So if you want to go racing in the Philippines and you're 15, 16, it, it's straight on a Superbike. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. So me and wow. Troy, we, we went uh, at 14 years old from you know mini motocross bikes to junior motocross. We hopped on straight on a 1000, so it's a lot different. But uh, luckily, in the, re- in the recent years, the, the local championships have uh, improved quite a lot, and uh, they're looking into adding, I think now they have a 400cc class. So 
uh, we're getting oh, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, that makes sense, doesn't it? Because at least then they can go into World Super Sport 300 or... Yeah, yeah. Or even the Asia, Asia 250, yeah. 250, yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, just talk, talk to us about that. Then. So you're 14, 15 years of age. You're getting off a motocross bike. And, you know, I've done a little bit of motocross, not competing, but I've ridden motocross bikes. Yeah. That must have been, I don't know, like the, your eyes must have been like on stalks. It must have just been <laughs> crazy getting on a, on a 1000. I mean, e even if it wasn't a, a full spec superbike, it's still going to be uh, a hell, hellish different. Oh, yeah, for sure. It was a, it's like a rocket ship. No, when the first time you, you try a 1000, it's, it's a big, big step. So it takes a few years to get into it. But uh, once, you get, once you learn how to ride the superbike, it's not so bad. And then obviously, uh, for, for those that have followed World Superbike, they will have seen your name uh, appear a few years ago in the, the, uh, the European Superstock Championship as it became, but it was the FIM World Cup. Uh, some great, great riders uh, in, in that championship. It's a, what was a very strong championship. They've stopped running it now, but we've had previous winners like Tati Mercado uh, has won the championship. Rafael De Rosa has won the championship. Rinaldi, uh, who's doing great things this year in, in World Superbike, yeah. has won the championship. Marcus Reiterberger, uh, it has been a champion. So it's got yeah. some illustrious names. Um, again, some people would say, well, hang on, you're coming straight from the Philippines. Uh, you know, maybe the level is not that good. You, you went for it big time, didn't you? You, you worked with, uh, with Ducati. Uh, and, you know, I'm not just saying this because we've, we've become friends, but you, you really sort of went at it professionally. Not saying that you wouldn't. I'm not, this is probably not coming out right, but... You know, you, you, you expect, expect, um, accepted the fact that in the first couple of rounds it was going to be difficult. You didn't know the tracks uh, and you plugged away and plugged away uh, until you were a top 10 runner in that championship on a, on a privately entered Ducati, which I think is a phenomenal achievement when you look at some of the teams that, that were racing in that championship. Just talk us through your thought process and, and you know why did you go that route i mean there were so many other routes in europe for you to go i mean you could have had it you could have had life a little bit easier if i, if I can say <laughs> that you know but you guys didn't do that you went you went in big time didn't you yeah we kind of took the plunge uh, straight in um well to be honest like uh racing in the super stock class i when i was growing up when i started in road racing i used to watch a lot of uh stock thousand races and I would see uh, like uh, Tati Mercado, who's uh, one of my big idols. I would see him uh, on the Ducati, you know, uh, winning races. So it was really uh, one of our dreams to to get into the World Superbike Superbike paddock in some way. And uh, riding 1000s at home, it only made sense to make the jump into Superstar. Yeah, no, I can see that. I can see that. And, and what what did you think? Um, of your time in Europe? I mean, I know you were only there a, a few years. Um, was there ever a thought that you think, okay, we're in, we're in the top 10 in, in Superstock for, for whatever reason, the FIM and, and Dorna, the championship stopped. Yeah. What, was there a thought process of saying, well, hang on, we're already here. Um, we've already got a sort of a, an allegiance with, with Ducati. Maybe they can give us some help and, and let's go world superbike racing. Or is that, was that completely out of the question? Uh, well, yeah, I did uh, two years uh, living in Europe and uh, racing. Uh, I did the first year in 2017 in the CIV Superbike, which was also a really difficult championship. Uh, and that was a hell of a year as well. Um, and then my second year, yeah, like what you said, I did the Superstock 1000 Championship. Uh, it's quite unfortunate that they didn't continue with the championship because I think it's a really good stepping ground to uh, possible, even in the World Championship. Like uh, we saw... Just uh, last week, uh, Ronaldi did such a great race in the Superbike class. But uh, yeah, 
we spoke to, to Ducati how we can continue because we saw that there was some potential. I was we were quite happy uh, with my performance in Europe, so that's how we ended up actually racing the Asian Championship. So we decided to take what we've learned and then try to put it in another continental series. And again, for those that are listening, obviously the Room podcast is catering for for cars and bikes. It's quite a unique podcast. We've got a lot of listeners that are that are coming from the car world that will not know who you are or what Superstock is or what the Asia Championship is. For those that are listening that don't know, I mean, I, I was lucky enough last year uh, in 2019 to, to be flown out to the Bend, which is a, a, a new circuit which was purpose-built yeah. uh, near Adelaide, uh, which was a combination of the Australian Championship and the Asia Racing. And um, I've got to say, I was really, really impressed with the level, not just of the, the Championship, but of all the teams. As you mentioned earlier, there's a little 250 category, um, there's a Super Sport category, and there's obviously the the ASB 1000, which is in essence the superbike or superstock based base class. And some of those teams looked as professional as in the World Superbike Championship. I was blown away by the, the Kawasaki team, the Yamaha team. It was it was a proper full setup. And and then of course Ducati are there, represented by by you guys, Ducati Philippines. Yeah, by a by a dealer team. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, and your yeah. setup your setup looked every bit as good as. As, as Go Eleven or as uh, you know, yeah. as Barney Racing, it was a proper, a proper full-on effort. Um, and you know, the, the level of racing in the Asia Championship is high, isn't it? I mean, you get again some really big names. Brock Parks, uh, former World Endurance Champion, uh, was over there. You get the likes of um, uh, Marcus Marcus Reiterberger. Also, yeah, Reiterberger yeah. now is, is over there. Aslan yeah. Shah. So so many names that, that people that have watched Grand Prix would be familiar with. Um, What's it like racing in that championship? Because again, one of the things I struggled with is that I don't speak any Asian languages. So the majority of interviews <laughs> we, we had a translator, so it was quite difficult. But it is a progressive championship, isn't it? I mean, it, there's a lot of interest in the series now. Yeah, especially uh, these days, they, they put in the Superbike class last year. So there's uh, suddenly become a lot of factory interest. Like uh, you have, like what you said, Yamaha is basically from Japan factory team. Same with Honda. Uh, they also have like a BMW team supported by Alpha, which we know is very strong in World Superbike. So maybe if uh, you're not so familiar with the championship, you think maybe it's just a small continental race. But in reality, it's a lot of uh, factory support from Japan and uh, even Europe uh, coming into that championship. So the level is really quite high. Like uh, we saw Reiter Berger, who's a super stock winner and World Superbike rider. He won uh, one race, but in the other race, I think he finished uh, in the top five. So we can see that the Asian riders have the capability to fight with even the European top guns. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Why do you think it is then that so many Asian riders don't come across? I mean, I know in the, in the World Superbikes now, we have Takumi Takahashi and we've had you know a few other uh, Japanese riders making wildcard appearances. But it's been a long time since we've had a full-time uh, rider from from Asia, whether that be Japan or Malaysia, or you know, um, I think Zulfami Khairuddin in Supersport was probably the last Malaysian that I can yeah. fully remember. Um, you know, um, well, why do you think that is? Why is it? Is it? I mean, truly, I mean, money is a factor. But as you said, the championship is so strong with these factory teams. There is money in the Asia Championship. So, what is it that you think stops them from coming across? Uh, yeah, well, we've seen a few few riders come across, uh, like. From the 600 super sport into like maybe cev moto 2 or even world uh but i think uh 
there's too much of a difference between the regulations of uh, our Asian Championship and uh, those of like say World Superbike. Like uh, for my team, it would be nice if you know we could do a wildcard maybe in Thailand uh, when Superbike used to come there. But with the regulations so different, we basically run a stock bike, and uh, they have full Superbike. It's impossible or too expensive to you know change the bike to to those regulations. Ah, okay, yeah, of course, I'm forgetting the, the regulations yeah. side. Yeah, it's the same, it's, it's obviously, your regulations then, um, even though it's a stock bike, you still have electronics, right? So it's not quite the same as BSB, because BSB runs... Yeah, yeah. Run. So you're, you're kind of, you're kind of even more of a disadvantage, because you're, you're coming from having electronics, having to change the electronics, plus the power deficit, where in BSB, yeah. you're running the full superbike with no electronics, so all they've got to say all they've got to do is they put the electronics package on but it's a lot more difficult than that obviously so um, okay so yeah that probably explains it to, to, to do it for one weekend would make no sense yeah and, and also something as simple as the the tires we use dunlop well i think almost every other superbike championship runs pirelli ah yeah that's true yeah i, I was speaking to garrett Gerloff from moto america and they run dunlops and he said that was the biggest thing yeah him was yeah the bikes are very similar because the rules are the same but he jumps on bike with Pirelli's and he's Completely like, wow, different. Yeah. got so much grip, but after 10 or yeah. 11 laps, it's got no grip. So he's got to reprogram the brain of, of how to ride. Um, one of the other things I found really interesting with the Asia Championship is some of the team managers, uh, Katsawaki Fujiwara, for example, race winner in, in World Supersport, I believe, and, you know, very, very quick rider. He's actually a team manager over there. So it, it, it is certainly attracting the talent, isn't it? Yes, yes. Also, uh, in the Honda, they have uh, Makoto Tamada, who's a GP rider before. Oh, is he, is he still there, is he? Yeah, yeah, he is. And the, he works as, I think, manager for the Honda team in Superbike. Wow, wow. So, I mean, again, for those listening, and again, sorry, sorry for the car, car drivers and car racer fans who think, why is Michael <laughs> talking about this? But I find it really interesting, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people will, will as well. Um, obviously, this year you've got some some new sponsors, uh, and obviously I can see you on the, the recording here. You're wearing a, a, a very strange colour for Ducati. It's kind of, I don't know whether we call it, is it, is it pink? Is it purple? Is it a cerise kind of cherry colour? Um, but I mean, yeah. if, if anyone hasn't seen uh, TJ's bikes, um, go online and, and, and search for him on his, on his social media, and he'll give us all of his social media before the end of the interview. But check out the colour scheme, because... It, as I said, it's a very unusual livery for uh, for Ducati, but it looks absolutely stunning, mate. I think you guys have done a great job with the bike. Thank you. Yeah, the the team did a great job designing the the bike, and I think it looks incredible. It's a uh, more of a purple. And uh, at first, we were a little bit wary. You know, we we're not so sure how uh, Ducati should be red, like all all other Ducatis in the world. But uh, it worked out good. <laughs> yeah, no, it looks uh, looks amazing. Obviously, from a, from a racing point of view, um, we know that the Philippines is on a full lockdown. Um, yeah. Unfortunately, uh, that's kind of curtailed any hopes right now that you guys have got of racing. Your brother as well racing this year in the uh, the Supersport uh, Asia Road Racing Championship. You did get the season started uh, with some some pretty decent results um, in yeah. Sepang, I think, if if, if memory serves. Um, but then. Pretty much as it's been around Europe, the Asia Road Racing Series, they're cancelling races left, left, right and centre. The races in Thailand have been cancelled. The, the race in China uh, was cancelled. Is there any news on when, when the Asia Road Racing Series will, will restart? Or, or are you preparing for the possibility that maybe, maybe that's it? There will be no racing for you until 2021, which we, we all hope is not the case. But is, is that a real possibility? 
Yeah, unfortunately, the situation, I think, uh, looking at how you guys are over in Europe, I think it's quite uh, a lot better or a lot faster for the recovery of the countries in Europe. Well, here in Asia, it's been quite slow. Like, for example, in uh, more well-developed countries like maybe Malaysia or Thailand, they're doing quite well. Also, Japan, of course. But like in Indonesia and the Philippines, we're still stuck. So like uh, we, we're still on a travel ban. We can't really go out. So that's one of the things uh, limiting the Asia Championship. Because also, uh, we in the Asia Championship, we have a lot of uh, teams and, of course, riders from all over Asia and some even in Europe. So it's really hard to get all of that organized together. Yeah, and of course, you also, we mentioned Brock Parks earlier on coming from Australia, and they've had a complete country lockdown as well. I mean, nobody can go in, nobody can go out. It's the same in America, obviously, my involvement in Moto America completely stopped, apart from a few Zoom calls, because you physically cannot enter the country. I mean, it's, um, it's a terrible, terrible situation. Um, and of course, next year, there are rumors that World Superbike may come to, to Indonesia. They're building a new track. Um, is that something that, that you guys have heard about a lot? Do you know anything about that? I mean, I appreciate it's a, it's a different country, but it is in your region. Are you hearing anything about the, the work on that track in Indonesia? No, actually, I, I, it's my first time to hear this as well. So, Oh, wow. So we're, we're giving you some you breaking news. Yes, breaking news. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. yeah I mean, apparently, they are, they are building a, a new circuit in, in Indonesia, which they're hoping to run uh, MotoGP and Superbikes. And the, the idea was, from what I understand, that Superbikes would go there in 2021. Um, and I was just interested because, obviously, with, with the COVID, with the coronavirus, I don't know whether work would stop. I mean, whether whether you can continue to build a circuit in the middle of a pandemic, I have no idea. Um but uh, I mean, if, if it does does come to fruition and the circuit happens, that could be an opportunity for you to 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 maybe just I don't know, just just lean on Ducati and get them to give you a third Aruba <laughs> bike and just go there with with Chaz and with with Scott and th- three bikes. That, that'll be all right. Uh, for sure, that would be a dream. <laughs> what is the long term plan uh, for you? Obviously, this year we we hope you get racing again and that you can finish the season in in some some way, shape, or form. But have you started thinking about twenty twenty one? I mean, I assume like everybody, it's it's still a big question mark and budgets as well are going to be affected. I mean, everyone seems to be talking, don't they, about this year and let's get through this year, but nobody's actually seemingly brave enough to talk about 2021, which is where I think there's also going to be problems. Yeah, well, uh, it's quite unfortunate because uh, it's actually my first time to stay in the same championship for another year. So last year was my first year in this, in this Asian championship and uh, it was really just a learning year, like, like always. Uh, but this year was the year where, in our plan, is to to improve quite a lot, no? try to get in the top five positions. But uh, unfortunately, with this coronavirus, there's nothing we can really do. Yeah, no, it's um, it is absolutely uh, ridiculous. Um, thinking about the thinking about the objectives then of the team, is does it mean that the, the, the most likely solution for you would be that you would continue in 2021 in the Asia Road Racing Series? As you say, it makes no sense. You've done one full season and a couple of races to then suddenly decide to move again. It doesn't really make any sense after all the investment. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, the plan for us is to stay in the meantime in the Asia Championship. Uh, it's a good championship and we still have a lot to learn, not only as, as myself as a rider, but also, of course, the whole team. Uh, as you know, it's like a family team for us. So it's also like a, you know, it's not just a sport, but also like business for us. So... Uh, it's going quite well in the Asian Championship, and uh, I think we'll stay here for a few more years for sure. No, that's great. I was going, I'm glad you mentioned that with the business because, yes, it looks like a, a full 
a full setup and it's a fully professional team, um, as you would expect. But it is a family team. Um, your dad is, uh, I don't know, do, do we call him team principal, team owner? Uh, I'm not sure what yeah, yeah. his title he's is. Yeah, yeah, he's the boss. He's the boss, that's it. The, yeah, the yeah he's the big boss. Um, but it, just explain that to us because, of course, you, you mentioned the business. You guys are heavily involved with Ducati in the Philippines, aren't you? Yeah. So uh, since 2001, uh, my family's been the importer of Ducati in the Philippines. Which always helps when you want to get some uh, some parts from Ducati to go racing, I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good uh, good help, and actually Ducati is also the 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 ones who helped uh, me uh, get get racing abroad. So now that's good, and I've also seen a lot of footage uh, on your social media, uh, on, on Instagram and uh, and on Twitter as well. You've also got a, a really cool website where you, you're posting all news and updates and things. Um, you, you're quite big on on wheeling Ducatis as well. Uh, I hope that was done on, <laughs> on, on, on closed roads and not on public roads. But I often see little videos and things of, of you on on some model of Ducati, whether it's a Panigale or other other models of bikes. And and ninety nine percent of the time, you're on one wheel, so uh, you're, you're having a lot of fun even <laughs> in the lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a uh, it's beautiful country here. Uh, we're having great weather. It's tropical country, so we can ride pretty much the whole year. So. And uh, the cops are quite nice here. When they see you on one wheel, they just give you a thumbs up and it's all right. Man, that's so cool. I live in the center of London. Yeah. If you did that in London, you'd be chased and probably uh, in a hedge somewhere because the police would be really <laughs> But, uh, but uh, what I just very quickly talk about, um, talk about your brother's racing. I know we're going to have him on as a guest in, in, in a future episode, but um, obviously a young, younger brother, he's gone through the, um, I was going to say Red Bull rookies, but it was the Asia Talent Cup, wasn't it? Asia Talent Cup, Asia yeah. Talent Cup, which he which he went through. Um, he's now also made the move on on onto Super Sports. Does it make it a little bit easier having your brother in the paddock, or is there does that kind of increase the rivalry? I don't know that you guys get on really well, which is which is always good if 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 if, uh, if you get on with your brother or your sister, that's great. But at the moment, you're not racing together; you're in different categories. Uh, I guess it would be maybe a little bit different if you were in the same the same class. Yeah, we used to ride the same class when we were racing superbikes in the Philippines. But uh, now it's it's quite nice to to have him because he's my basically training partner. And you know, other than being my brother, he's my training partner every day, uh, be it in the gym or in the bicycle or the motocross track. So it's nice to have him uh, with me on the same weekend. You know, we can maybe share some tips about the track condition or some lines or something. So it's uh, it's been a big help, I think. No, it's good. And uh, again, uh, really young, young, young rider, but he's, he's definitely got a bright future ahead of him, as, as have you. Um, is, is the long-term goal then for you, is, is it still MotoGP, the, the dream? Or given the route that you've taken with Superstock and production bikes, is the dream one day to say, right, I'm going to be the first Filipino to race in World Superbike, to score points in World Superbike? And who knows, first ever Filipino World Superbike champion. I mean, that would be awesome. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, that's the that's the long term goal. I think uh, I think my plan for sure is uh, I hope to come back to the World Superbike Championship, you know, be it in maybe six hundred or one thousand. Uh, but for now, my short term goal is for sure to to be the first uh, Asian champion for Filipino Asian champion Superbike. So that's cool. a goal. But uh, let's work on it step by step and uh, look for the first podium first. Yeah. What one thing that also impresses me with uh, with your team in particular is that you've got a, or you've made a good relationship with a lot of uh, very fast, well known riders in Europe. So much that the fact that you ended up putting a second bike uh, out there uh, in recent races, we've we've seen the likes of Federico Sandi, uh, former race winner, Lorenzo Zanetti, 
who yeah. uh, has raced and, and, and been in World Superbike. He's been in uh, in Stock 1000. I can't, I can't remember whether he was ever a champion, but he certainly won races in, in Stock, uh, yeah. Stock 1000. How important are, the, are those riders to your program? Uh, obviously not meaning any disrespect to you, but the whole point of them coming in is to, is to push and to try and give as much feedback as possible to help the whole team. Um, so it's, it's quite a quite a good decision, I think, to, to bring somebody in that you know can ride a Ducati. I mean, the two riders I mentioned, you know, I think Zanetti was a test rider for Ducati or with Pirelli uh, tyres. So he, the feedback that these guys can give to to the development of the bike over there is, is massive. Yeah, for sure, uh, because... Um like we say, we're not saying we're the best team. We're quite a small team and we're still uh, learning the ropes. So uh, last year when it was just me on the bike, it was really difficult because I, I have to admit, I'm quite a young rider. I don't have the most experience. It's a new bike to me, new championship to me. Uh, but to have an, another rider to compare with was a big help. Uh, they, the team also learned a lot from them and uh, they were able to get uh, some good results in the championship. And of course, it's a great championship for them. Uh, it's a good ride for them too. And I was also able to improve. So it's always good to have a comparison or another basis to compare yourself against. Yeah, for sure. We're coming up to probably I don't know, seven or eight minutes to go. So I want to kind of move away from um, what you're doing, even though we could talk about it for hours. You know what I'm like. I can just I, I get paid by the word. So the more I keep talking, the better it is. Um, <laughs> I want to just get your thoughts on on the racing this year from, from the championships that have got underway. We've, we've seen races in Moto America. I don't know if you've been watching uh, the Moto America championship, but uh, Cameron Bobier dominating their seven wins from eight races. Um, obviously, MotoGP has got underway. Fabio Quattararo winning races. Mark Marquez getting injured, unfortunately. Rossi back on the podium. Uh, so much to talk about there. World Superbikes as well. We've seen four different race winners. Uh, we've had seven riders on the podium. It seems a lot more competitive than in recent years. And of course, BSB got underway where the brand new Honda uh, got a double win. So what's your, what's your take on the different championships that you've been watching and, and who's, your, who's your tip for the, for the title in, in these various championships? Yeah, I'm quite interested in the, the championships this year, especially because that with the situation, you know, they had to compact uh, all the races in such a short time span. Like usually uh, with what, an injury like what Marquez had, he'd be able to come back, you know, in the next race. But with uh, everything being so close together, it really changes the dynamic of the championship. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I've, I've been watching uh, all of the MotoGBs and the World Superbikes. And uh, the MotoGP championship for me is quite interesting. Uh, with uh, Binder taking his first win with uh, KTM is really incredible. So yeah, I think, think uh, anything can happen. Yeah, I was going to say, what did you think of that? Because in the very first test that Brad Binder did with KTM, he was last. He was the slowest. And now, <laughs> you know, he's done two races in Jerez. Yes, he was fast, but he makes mistakes. He didn't put a wheel wrong in the Czech Republic, did he? I mean, it was wheel perfect. It was superb. And, you know, no disrespect to Binder, but I think a lot of people would have expected Paul, Paul Espargaro, to potentially win the the first race for KTM and, and he got an elbow in the face from Zarco and that all ended in the gravel and and then you see Binder just riding away from everybody it was incredible yeah I think uh, you you could see the disappointment in uh, Paul's face when he saw Binder take the win I mean uh, Binder did a good ride but we know that uh, that was Paul, for Paul to win <laughs> yeah yeah but oh, uh, well, he he wasn't able to put it together yeah yeah where, where do you stand with the the penalty then that Zarco got I mean you're a racer um, you know yeah. uh, what, what do you think? Was, 
Zarko, was he correct to go for the gap? I mean, you know, I always think back to the, uh, the Ayrton Senna quote. I know it's a Formula One quote, but he used to say, if, if there's a gap and you don't go for it, you're no longer a racer. I mean, clearly there was a gap. I mean, you could have driven a bus through there, couldn't you? I mean, he did leave it. He did go wide. Um, what, what would you have done? Would you have gone for the gap or was, was Zarko in the wrong? I think uh, Zarko didn't really change his line so much. He didn't really try to uh, pass Paul, but I think Paul ran wide and didn't really check. Uh, I think is the, the penalty was quite harsh for Zarko to get the long lap penalty. Maybe it should have just been a warning because, you know, when the bike is leaned over like that, you can't really see over the fairing. But uh, yeah. we also saw Ducati complaining, but after Zarko did the incredible long lap penalty, they were like, all right, it's okay, no problem. Yeah, I saw that. How, I mean, how cool was that long lap penalty? I mean, I put on my Instagram, I put um, perfect penalty and then got loads of abuse and then realized, of course, that a lot of the people that also follow me are not English speakers. And I wasn't meaning that the penalty was correct. I was actually meaning that he executed the penalty really well. But I got so much abuse. Oh, I can't believe it. You don't like the French. I'm like, no, hang on. I, th I didn't think he should have got a penalty. I was just saying <laughs> perfect, you know. Um, but I mean, that, that for any... Any young rider, especially in Moto2 or Moto3, um, who get penalties, say, a lot more frequently than we see in MotoGP, that is how to take a penalty. I mean, that was unbelievable, wasn't it? It was incredible. Yeah, I think uh, maybe he even gained some time on, the, on that penalty lap. <laughs> yeah, actually, yeah, to be incredible. fair, he didn't seem to slow down. I mean, and you could see also yeah. when you watch the replay, you can see some of the dust coming up and you think that could have gone so wrong. I mean, he could have crashed on that penalty lap if he'd have gone a little bit wide. But it was, I mean, it was literally millimeters, wasn't it, from, from the white line and he didn't lose a place. Yeah, I think the penalty system is a good idea, but I think after seeing what Zarko is able to do, maybe Dorna needs to look into that. It could have, it, it happened, uh, it was a really good uh, ride by Zarko, but it could have gone completely wrong and uh, maybe a little bit even dangerous. Yeah, yeah, maybe in the future if he gets a penalty, they're going to give him two. Two of them. Well, that'll, that'll make it interesting. <laughs> yeah. Too, yeah. <laughs> what about, obviously, from a World Superbike point of view, you've, you've been in the, in the paddock. Thoughts this year about Scott Redding coming in? Obviously, he's a fellow Ducati rider. Also, Chaz Davies as well. Looks a lot more at home, doesn't he, on the, uh, on the Ducati. He's been on the podium a couple of times. Was uh, P4, I think, in the, in the last race in, in Portugal. Uh, and as you said, because we've got this compacted series, um, I think there's only four four or six points in, in the championship now. There's very, very little between them. It's a long time since we've seen maybe four or five guys in the fight to win World Superbikes, which is fantastic. Yeah, I think uh, Scott is a great addition to the, the series. Uh, as a Ducati rider, of course, I want to see him win, uh, hopefully win the championship. But I think uh, Rea on his worst day is not so bad. On his worst day, he's still a really podium rider. And uh, on his best day, of course, he'll go for the win. So it's an interesting championship. We'll see. And uh, we shouldn't forget about, of course, about injuries. You know, it's a short season, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, you mentioned Michael Ruben Rinaldi, uh, and it, it's strange. He's still in his early 20s, and, and I remember watching him uh, when he first started in Superstock 600. And, and, you know, that's something else that we're seeing in all championships, isn't it? You mentioned, obviously, Binder getting the win. Fabio, we expected to be there, but Binder, the big, big surprise. Uh, in MotoGP. We've also seen surprises in, in, in Moto2 and Moto3. Um, we are seeing, because of this new shortened championship, new names that are suddenly going, hang on a minute, this is a great chance. You know, testing has been limited. Michael Ruben Rinaldi, we all knew, was a, was a fast rider. Whether we thought he had the potential to, to fight for the podium, Herethi's always gone well. He gets a good couple of results in Hereth, and everyone's like, ah, yeah, well, he got his best result here last year. Let's see. 
we go to a new track, Portimao, which is, as you know, is very, very different yeah. to the ref. And once again, he's fighting for the podium. I mean, we, we could see some new stars emerging in all championships. Yeah, I think uh, the, the racing lately has been incredible. I don't know what's happened to the riders during the lockdown, but I like it. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. So we're coming up to the end then of, uh, of our chat. I mean, I could chat to you for, for, for ages. It's just a shame that you've only had those opening two races to talk about. So there isn't much to talk about in terms yeah. of racing. But um, bringing it back to, to the Asia racing, bringing it back to your, your racing program, when, when, when do you expect to be able to be back on track, even if it's just for testing? Uh, appreciate there may not be any racing right now, but it's going to be very important that when you can test to, to get back out there, right? I mean, I'm guessing you haven't ridden the bike since the last race. Yeah, I haven't uh, ridden the bike since the last race, but uh, luckily I've been able to do some track days here in our local track. Uh, it's not the same, but still good to be able to stretch the legs and uh, go riding. Yeah, great. No, that's good. That's good. Um, and wh when is the next update? Um, we may have covered this earlier, but um, we've talked about so many things. Wh when is the next update coming from, from the Asia Road Racing guys? Have they given a date of when we can expect an update? Yeah, unfortunately, right now, also, they're, they're trying to get uh, like multiple races in Sepang or maybe in Thailand. But unfortunately, right now, Sepang's in a travel ban as well. So uh, really, it's not so clear. Maybe hopefully at the end of the year or they're even, they said they're even prepared to run until 2021 to finish the 2020 season. Oh, so wow. So yeah, we'll see how that they, happens. Yeah, they talked about that in, in Formula One. Yeah, they? They yeah. said we could actually still have races in January and then have a, a two-month stop and then go again. So, so they wouldn't even consider it. Well, I think that's what, – what's your feelings about that then? Because obviously you're the first rider um, that we've spoken to and certainly from a, from a world championship, from BSB, etc. They're all going to finish their seasons prior to December or prior to the Christmas break. You're saying that actually there's a, there's a chance that we could finish the 2020 season in January. I mean, what, what's your thoughts on that? I think uh, from from you know from a racing, I think as a rider, that's quite good because you know you got maybe hired or you signed up to ride the twenty twenty season. It's it's not fair if you don't get to have your chance. Yeah, so, like we've seen some riders who during the lockdown have gotten replaced and they haven't even turned a wheel. Like uh, Alex Marquez already signed for LCR but hasn't even done one race with the Honda yet. So yeah, yeah. I think it's good that the championships will try to finish the 2020 season, even if it's just a short term calendar. Yeah, and I guess if you're saying they could do multiple races, I mean, we're seeing that in GPs, aren't we? The, uh, uh, we're recording this just prior to the Austrian Grand Prix. So for anyone listening, if you're hearing things that we're talking about, think, well, hang on, when did you record this? We're recording this literally uh, two days before the, uh, the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, they're then going to stay on, aren't they, the following week? Same in World Superbike. The next round is in Aragon at the end of August three or four days break and then they go again so you you could run uh sort of multiple races they could even add extra races i mean i know you guys get two races yeah yeah three races on a weekend put you know three weekends back to back get nine races you could still have a, a yeah. championship it's not so good if you don't like the track though is it i mean imagine you go to a yeah track <laughs> it'd be a bit a little bit like a national championship where you just do the same track over and over but uh, the Asia Championship said that they're even prepared to do three races in a weekend. So that'll be very interesting. Yeah, because also in the Asia racing, uh, similar to the rules that they've brought in with BSB this year, they're not doing uh, two long races and a short race like in World Superbike where you get the sprint race. It would be three full-length yeah. races. I mean, geez, three full-length races in the heat and humidity of Asia. I'm not sure. I'd, I don't think I'd even be able to do three laps, let alone three races. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be a tough one for sure. <laughs> 
Yeah. How do you cope with that? That's one thing we didn't touch on just very quickly. Obviously, given that all your races are, are in Asia, how do you how do you maintain that hydration for, for, for that period? You know, because it's not like a world championship arrives and you see what the, the various GP and, and superbike stars do. But it's, it's, it's a very short window, isn't it? They, they literally arrive two or three days before they do the race and they leave and then it's back to normality. Um, I guess in some cases, obviously, you are from, from that area, so you are kind of used to it. But still, um, to do so many races so close together in that heat, I mean, it must take a toll on the body. Yeah, for sure. Like uh, if you watched in Jerez MotoGP a few weeks ago, they were complaining about the 40 degree heat. But to us, that's our life every day. We have 40 degrees plus 100% humidity. You really, there's no air. So it's really tough. But I mean, I, I'm from Asia, so it's normal to me. We train in this heat. Uh, for sure, it gets hot and sticky a lot of times, but it's no problem for us. Yeah, absolutely. So you're, a, you're, you're an Ironman. That's what you are, Tim. Uh, <laughs> Ironman. Um, just to finish then, obviously, uh, the whole purpose of this is to, to let people get to know you, get to know your story. Um, and as I mentioned earlier, you are on, on various social medias. You've got a, a really cool website as well. So give yourself uh, a couple of minutes and just let, let everybody know how they can follow you because uh, I'm sure a lot of people from listening to this will be keen to see how you get on when racing restarts. Yeah, so of course you guys can follow me on my social media. So I have a Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So on Facebook, just type in TJ Alberto. And same with Instagram, TJ Alberto7. Also, same handle for Twitter. And of course, I have a really great website, uh, tjalberto.com. So yeah, Excellent. see you guys there. So we have a lot of great content. I'm sure you won't be disappointed. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I've said, as I said earlier on, I've seen a lot of your little videos and things that, that you're posting. Uh, obviously, you're going to get the regular training stuff, as you said, with the, the cycling and things. Um, but there are some really cool videos of, of, of TJ on uh, on one wheel and not always the back wheel sometimes it is on there are stoppies going on and all kinds of chaos uh in, in the philippines right. but it's, it's great it's great content and uh, that's important now as well isn't it i mean you probably learned that more than maybe a lot of the, the younger riders coming through in the philippines social media these days it's so so important to engage with the fans yes for sure uh i miss the fans as well so please follow <laughs> yeah no, <laughs> we'll absolutely. see each other online yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely well, TJ, um, thank you so much for, for chatting uh, today. We did say we're going to try and keep it to 30 minutes. We've been going for 41 minutes. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, great chat. <laughs> yeah, great chat, great chat. Uh, and uh, as I said, I was, was hoping to get out to, uh, to a couple of races this year, but it's looking likely now that, uh, uh, that I won't be able to, to, to travel. So it's going to be 2021 before I can come across and, and see you and, uh, and the family. But give my regards to, to, you, to your parents and obviously to, uh, to Troy, your brother, uh, I know we're going to get him on in, in a couple of weeks. And uh, thank you so much for, for joining this episode of Room. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michael. Join me next week for episode 10 of Room, where we have two wheels and four wheel guests to entertain you. I'll be joined by Will Tregurtha, a former Ginetta Junior Champion who's now racing successfully on circuits like the Norschleife in Germany in the VLN Endurance Series. And I'll also be joined by former Red Bull rookie Dan Jones, who is racing this year in the British GP2 Series alongside the British Superbike Championship.
Brood. Your weekly motorsport fix podcast is produced by Michael Hill and is edited by Gareth Bouch of Vroom Media. The music is by The Rain Dogs and it's a production of Michael Hill Promotions. <laughs>